had a plan. It was a good plan. I decided last night with the sunshine, what would be great would be to go to the common, uh, take a book and a deck chair and sit and watch the sun go down. Wasn't that a good plan? Well, I turned up, I got my deck chair out, I got one of these comfy ones, it's really cool, put that down. Um, I got my book and I got some, some headphones, I put them in, and I had some beer, I got some uh, non-alcoholic beer, so you can drink as many as you want and still drive home, it's great. So I put them down, and I sat there and I was watching the sun go down. It took a lot longer than what I thought. <laughs> Man, it goes on forever, doesn't it? I'm like, come on! Okay. And I'm watching this getting lower and lower and lower. It's getting to that point where you know that the sky is going to burst forth in colour. And at that point, at that very point where I'm going to enjoy the sunset, I needed a wee. <laughs> and not only did I need a wee, it was freezing cold. Even though it was sunny, the wind came in and it was starting to... And I sat there going, I'm going to have to go home. And so the big plans weren't that great plans at all. I did enjoy reading my book and sitting in the sunshine, but I didn't get to see the best bit. We have plans, but God has a master plan. He has got something in mind. And his master plan is to use his people, not just the superstars of the faith, people like Peter and Paul and, and you know what I mean, or other bigwigs like Billy Graham, but people like you and me. To use us for his kingdom. It's a great plan. But sometimes it can be painful. And uh, so we're in the final week of looking at this series. And uh, let me just roughly where we're going. So Acts chapter 16 tells us all about what happened. Acts 16, even the back end of 15, it's like if any missionary could do it badly... Paul would fit into that category. You'd never employ him for BMS, is all I'm saying. He, if he did get employed for BMS, you'd fire him after this event. So it was like, so it's chapter one, well, where it starts in the well, end of 15, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas the encourager, the man known for being encouraging, um, Paul and him fall out. Barnabas goes one way and Paul goes the other, thinking, well, that's not a great start, is it? Uh, here we go. And then Paul's going off and he's supposed to be going around encouraging the churches. But it comes to this point where the Holy Spirit starts to say, no. Shall we go in this city to speak? No. What about this city? No. What about this town? No. Or this town? No. Or this village? No. And everywhere he's going, for about 400 miles, he's walking. And the Holy Spirit keeps going, shall I go in here and preach the gospel? And the Holy Spirit's going, no, I don't want you to go there. Imagine how that must have felt for this man who has this desire, this love to preach the gospel, where the Spirit saying, no, I don't want you there. And for 400 miles... Paul, Silas, and his new disciple, Timothy, just basically wander through the country, or modern-day country of Turkey. And they walk and they walk, and the Spirit just says, no, 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 all the way until they get to the coast. And that first week, we looked at when God says no to us, and how that can be painful. When we pray for someone to be healed, and God says no. When we, when we say we'd like to do this, and God says, no, I don't want you to do that. We experience no in our lives. When they were in Troas at the coast, 
Paul has a vision. This vision of a man from Macedonia saying, can you come over and help? And Paul's like, yes, at long last, the Spirit's allowing us to do something. So they hop in a boat, take some two days as they travel across Adriatic and they, they get to this city, the key city of, uh, of the region, a place called Philippi. And when they get there, they, they imagine they're thinking, let's get to the synagogue. But there is no synagogue. In fact, there's very few Jews in that town because it's a Roman colony. And so they think, well, no synagogue. Where, where are we going to preach? Where are we going to find God's people? And, uh, and they remember, well, they'll have to be near water. They'll have to be near a river. It needs to be, I don't know, it needs to be uh, about, uh, you know what I mean, uh, three quarters of a mile because that's the only distance they're allowed to walk because it's uh, the Sabbath. And so they go off looking for God's people. I'm not sure if they find it or not. The Bible's not clear, but they come across this group of women. And I'm not sure if this is a group of women who's gone to pray, or this is a group of women who's gone to wash their clothes. It doesn't say. But here, Paul speaks. And at long last, someone responds. A lady called uh, Lydia, who deals in purple cloth, a very posh lady, And she responds to Paul. So in the second week, we realized that this woman was the plan that God had to make a difference in Philippi. It would be about her and what she did. It wasn't a big group of people who responded. Just the one. That's enough for God. And that's when we we learned that, that we are the plan. We are the hands and feet of God. Last week, Danny was speaking on the third part, talking about fearless faith. So Paul uh, and, and Silas, uh, they're walking through the city, and they had this, this woman who, who's possessed by an evil spirit, who's, who's walking behind them, keep going, listen to these people, they're going to tell you stuff about, the, about God. You're thinking, that sounds good to me, but it, you don't really want the evil wall pronouncing what you're going to do. So eventually it said he got annoyed, which I love. You don't see this in the modern Christians. You know what I mean? Well, we are of the God. But here Paul's like just irritated by this, this, this slave girl. And he, and he casts out this demon. Because this girl was able to predict the future by this evil spirit within her, her owners were furious that they weren't going to make any money from her. So they dragged Paul and Silas before uh, the officials and there, they're beaten by the crowd and beaten by the officials with metal rods, thrown into prison. And it's at this point I want to pick up the story. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 16, and we're going to look at verse 25. So let's read from there. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus 
and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And that hour at night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the, to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens. They threw us into prison, and now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escort them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met their brothers and the sisters, and they encouraged them. Then they left. Dragged before officials, beaten by the crowd, publicly stripped, beaten with iron rods, thrown in jail, put in the darkest cell, put in chains and stocks. I love verse 25. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. When I was at Bible college, we used to have them tell us all the time, you know what I mean, oh, this and this preacher, when, when they would get up at four o'clock in the morning to pray, and I used to think, wow. And this guy would come, and he would get up at four o'clock to pray, and I thought, whoa, that's, that's, that's really impressive. And then I kept thinking, maybe I should try. And as much as I tried, I could get up, but I could never pray, because as soon as I shut my eyes... I was back in the land of Nod, and I felt like a terrible Christian. And I once went to speak to, to one of the lecturers about this, and I feel terrible. I, you know, I mean, these guys, they got up at four to pray, and I can't seem to. He said, listen, Steve, he says, back then, before electricity, people went to bed a lot earlier than what they do today. They probably were in bed at seven, and so getting up at four wasn't that much of a, a hardship, where today, you know, I mean, we go to bed at 11. He said, it's, it's a lot different. I went, oh, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So getting up at nine is fine. No. <laughs> but you get this, it's midnight. Midnight in a world when they go to bed at seven is like half past three today. Imagine at half past three, singing breaks out. Anyone been camping? Oh, we're, we're campers, me and Rachel. We, we go to Cornwall camping. You know what I mean? It's absolutely heaving. You know what I mean? No space to move for tents. They get as many tents on as possible. I can tell you, if I start singing praise at half past three in the morning and start praying out loud, people will be listening and complaining and, and chucking me off the site. It's the middle of the night. These people must be thinking, what is going on? Why, why would you sing now? But the question for me, and I think Danny was answering this last week, why? Why were they singing? Do you think they felt like a sing-song? You think after being beaten, 
publicly humiliated, publicly stripped. They would have been stripped naked to be beaten, thrown in prison, put in stocks in the darkest part of prison. You think they felt like singing? You ever hit yourself with a hammer? You ever break out into song? Stub your toe on the way up the stairs. You ever think, woohoo, let's pray. It doesn't happen, does it? When something bad happens to us, it's the last thing you think about. Someone cuts up at you in the front of the car. You don't say, oh, let's just pray for the brother in front, do you? But here, I think we learn a lesson from, from Paul. You see, Jesus taught that faith is like a seed. It's like a seed. If you plant it, it grows. Faith within us needs to grow. And sometimes you need to plant it for it to grow. You need to water it. You need to give it some sunshine. Faith needs to grow. And, and, and so sometimes we need to put into action things even when we don't feel like it. I'm glad you chose to sing a song from David this morning, Scott, because it helps. David, at the darkest point of his life, darkest point of his life, where, where he's had to flee from a mad king who's trying to kill him, where he's had to flee from his wife, flee from his, from his, his kids, flee from the city, he had to flee from his family, from his career, had to leave his wealth behind, had to leave with nothing. And it says he goes to the city called Gath, thinking he could hide out with the enemy, but he's recognized there. He has to pretend he's mad. And eventually he escapes to, to a place just across the valley from where he grew up, a place called Adullin, and in a dark cave there. And it says, sat in this cave in the darkness. It says, everyone who's distressed or in debt or down, turn up and join them in that cave. 600 of them. Imagine how happy that cave must have been. Imagine David going, let's all sing together. It wouldn't have happened, would it? But here from that dark place, you'll find in, 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 in Psalm, uh, Psalm 57, David is there and he's whinging to God. And people are out to get me. They're setting traps before me. Their teeth are like spears. I'm here amongst ravenous beasts, God. And you know how he turns it? In all this darkness, in all this pain, he says these words. Oh, my heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and I will make music. I will awaken my soul. I will awaken the harp and the lyre. I will awaken the dawn. Maybe as a spiritual exercise, we need to do that. David knew that the secret, the secret to life is when all hell breaks loose, when, when everything comes at you, when you're having your worst day, the secret to it is to say, yes, but yet, I will still trust in God. I will sing praise to him. It's faith, isn't it? Is that trust? Will you trust in the dark? 
in the night when things go wrong? That's what he's asking. Trust me. Oh, you don't know what's going on, but you're going to trust me. And that's what Paul and, 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 and Silas, I'm sure they didn't want to sing. I'm sure they didn't feel like singing. But they knew if they could awaken their soul, if they could turn on to God, that God was going to do something amazing. And they didn't have to wait long, did they? Verse 26. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, the prison's doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I love it. They're praying and suddenly, everything starts to shake. A violent earthquake. But the question that rattles in my mind is, why don't they escape? Why don't they get up and get out and get off? Obviously, Paul has never heard the song by Charlie Wesley, has he? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, that that, that brilliant hymn that Charlie wrote, And Can It Be? We all know it, don't we? Oh, yes, that verse, is it verse 4? Shall we sing it together? If you don't, I'll sing it to you. It's almost like a fret, isn't it? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thy nine diffused a quickening ray. I woke my dungeon filled. I rose. That's enough. <laughs> I rose. Went forth and followed. My chains have fallen off. It's like he must have heard the report from Peter in prison when the angel turned up. Remember, Peter's half asleep and the angel turned up and says, Come on, Peter, wake up. Peter's like, Come on, you wake up. He wakes him up and he says, We're going, we're going, get your clothes on. Peter's like half asleep, going, Okay, where are we going? What time is it? It's the middle of the night. And he follows this guy, this, this angel, and suddenly he realizes, Oh, I'm outside prison. Oh, that's pretty good. And he goes up, remember, trying to get in the prayer meeting. And the little girl at the door going, Paul's at the door. Not Paul, Peter's at the door. He's like, no, he can't be. He's in prison. No, we've been praying for his release. No, he's still in prison. It must be his spirit. And Peter's kind of hard, easy to go out of jail than it is to get in the prayer meeting. <laughs> Obviously, God's into jailbreaking. But it's like Paul hasn't got the message. Oh, I'll just stay here. We stay, stay. Silence, everyone, just stay where you are. It's okay. It's pitch black. The darkest bit of night. They're in the darkest cell. Everything's shaking. If it was you, would you not run even to get outside? This thing could come down on top of you. It's shaking to its foundations. But Paul... She says, no, there's a plan here, a master plan. Everyone stay where they are. You're going to be fine. God's at work. It's that trust again, isn't it? How often do we get shaken at our foundations? But God's at work. God's doing something. Open your eyes. The jailer wakes up to carnage. The doors are open and he freaks. And he should freak. 
because if a prisoner escapes, he is personally responsible. If one of them runs, it means that he will be taken, he will be tortured, and he will be crucified for it. You could think of him looking, going, oh, someone's bound to have gone. And so he takes his sword, and rather than face the music, he decides to end his own life. It would be far easier than what the Romans will do to him. And out of the darkness comes the voice. Don't. We're all here. And I was at college. One of my uh, closest friends got a phone call to say that her dad had committed suicide. That even though he had a house and a wife and a beautiful family, he left a note to say he felt so alone and he took his own life. So one of the biggest killers in our country is young men taking their own lives. And I want you to know this, that you are not alone. If you're here today and thinking that, you're not alone. We're here for you. That's why God brings us together as a family. It's time to talk. This jailer, his life turned at this point. He, he, he realizes that there's something about this guy that he comes out with the, the best words that anyone could say. What must I do to be saved? Not only has he heard Paul singing, imagining, and preaching, but now he's asking that question. What must I do? to be saved. He's not heard Paul preach or explain anything to him, but he knows that he has to respond to this. And so he takes Paul home. Paul shares with him um, the, the, the story, and, uh, and he responds to that. Not just him, but his whole household. And they take him, and in the middle of the night, they go to a river, and there he is baptized. Actions speak louder than words, don't they? Actions speak louder than words. <laughs> I used to work for a company called Maranatha Ministries. We used to travel the country telling people about Jesus. That was the fun bit. I loved that bit. I was good at that bit. The other bits that we used to do, I wasn't so good at. Um, they tried to find roles for me in the company, what we did through the day. And, and one of the ones they tried was um, administration. Exactly, I thought, brilliant, good for you, good, give it a go. And they, they asked me to take the money to the bank one day. And so, you, big pile of, of checks, big pile of cash, lots of paperwork to be done, and put it on a bag, gave it to me, and sent me off to the bank. And I'm thinking, easy peasy. So I went to the counter and went, there you go. <laughs> she went, is it all in order? I have no idea. And so she took it and she went through like, stamping things, doing all the things, and eventually she said, all okay, Steve, off you go. Perfect, wasn't it? Well, about two months later, I was cleaning my car, 
and I went through the, the box thing, what do you call it, the glove box, and there at the back of the glove box was a plastic bag. And I thought, oh, I wonder what that is. So I opened up the plastic bag, and it's full of cash. <laughs> and I thought, thank you, God, for the cash. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, whose cash is this? And then as I'm flicking through, I think, oh, this is the cash from the, when I did the bank. I've not, obviously not handed in the cash. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this could be a gift from God. I need money. I've been praying about money. Money's now arrived. But I knew what the right thing was to do, was to take the money to the bank. And so I did that. I turned up with this money. I went, I'm really sorry. Obviously, when we did the banking, I must have forgot to, to hand the money in. And I thought there would be a celebration of honest Steve bringing the money back. Man, if I knew so much fuss was going to happen there and then, I'd have kept the money. It was like, oh, you got us all in trouble. What are we going to do? <laughs> but you know what? Actions speak louder than words. Do you know that people watch you to see if what you believe is true or not. People are, are looking at life and they're saying, does this really work, this Christianity thing? And they look at you and go, I know they're a Christian, let's have a look. They watch you. They're checking you out. Does it really make a difference? When I first became a Christian, oh, the preacher preached, he preached 45 minutes. It could go on and on and on. But, you know, I was just trying to find, what is God saying? But you know what the thing that spoke to me most of all is I got invited by a couple to come and have a meal with. And their lives and the way they loved each other and spoke to the kids spoke more than anything that was preached at me. People watch your lives. The kids are back. We're going to have to move up a lot quicker. People watch your lives. I, I used to work in, uh, uh, in schools, and not officially, but I'd go in and do assembly. Still do that here. I still go in every other week up to uh, thing. But in the past, I was in, in a school, and I'd stand up and tell stories and teach about Jesus, and everyone knew I'd do that. But my biggest ministry actually wasn't what I did in front of the school. My biggest ministry is how I interacted with the teachers and the staff, room, when they would cry with me and chat and talk about what's going on in their lives. You know, God has put you in a certain place at a certain time to make a difference in your world. He has a plan for you to make a difference. Why do you think that God's put you in the office that he's put you in? To make a difference. Why do you think you live in this, the house that you do in your street? Because he's put you there to make a difference. Why do you think he's put you in that weird family that you're part of? Why? To make a difference. God has called you to be the difference in your situation. Esther, who was the, the queen, remember the very pretty queen, and at one point Mordecai came to her and said this, got it written down, he says, um, and who knows, but you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. But who knows that you've been called to the place where you are for such a time as this.
Let me tell you how the story goes on, and we'll bring this to an end. It says that, that uh, she says they get patched up, healed, go back to prison, and then the next day the announcement comes, you're free. And then Paul drops the bombshell and says, oh, we're Roman citizens. This is big news. This is scary news for these magistrates because what they have done is illegal. They have treated people... Oh, isn't it a joy to have the children back? Welcome back! It's, it, it, they must have been pooing themselves because they're in big trouble. And, uh, and, but they don't make a huge fuss. They just say, well, we want you to escort us out. And they do. They escort us out. They go and encourage the brothers and they leave. Now, what have they left behind? Let me tell you what they've left behind. They left a posh lady who sells purple clothes and they've left a jailer and his family. And they move on from there. But get this, Philippi grows to be a massive church because of a jailer and because of a woman who sells purple cloth. It seems in all ways that this could be a disastrous story, but God is at work and God does something amazing for his people. There is a plan. There is a master plan. There is a plan for you, and it is a master plan. God wants to use you for his kingdom. So let's pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray you take our lives, our ordinary lives, and yet you use them for your glory. May we have words that that, that bring people to life. May we show that you're real by the way that we live and love and move. I thank you for our families that you've placed us in. I thank you for the street in which we live and the places where we work and go to school. May we shine bright for you in your name. Amen.